Well, good morning, Calvary. It is uh, a privilege to uh, be with you this morning and to, I guess, allow Jess to finish out being on beach time. And so, uh, but uh, I, I'm excited to be able to bring forth the Word of God today. If you would, turn in your Bibles to uh, Hosea, Hosea chapter 10. I'm going to ask you to mark your finger there. And then turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. So put your finger in Hosea chapter 10, or however you're going to do that digitally, because I don't play with that stuff too much. But uh, um, turn there. And one of the things I love about being a part of this church is the attention to the Word of God. And man, there are so many times is with the scriptures put on the screen, through the uh, singing and Scripture time and the messages that Jess brings forth, Graham brings forth, and what he's been doing, Graham, even with the Bible study, it just churns up within me that love for the Scriptures and just the awe and wonder of how God is connected and correlated and how the Scriptures are so cohesive. And it'll churn up different things in my mind. So I hope even with this message today, that does that sum with thinking about the different things that we've been talked and walked through at this church. And so Hosea chapter um, 10, 11, and 12, you hopefully got your finger there. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And that's where I want to start first, and then we'll jump to Hosea. So 1 Corinthians chapter 10. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, beginning verse 1, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food. And all drank from the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with the With most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were, as it it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality, as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. Nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example. But they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the age has come. Therefore let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. And then turn to Hosea, and this is where all text will be. Hosea chapter 10, verse 11. Hosea 10, verse 11, Ephraim was a trained calf that loved to thresh, and I spared her fair neck. But I will put Ephraim to the yoke. Judah must plow, Jacob must harrow for himself. 
Sow for yourselves righteousness, reap steadfast love, break up the fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord, that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. These are the holy and inerrant words of our God. Let's just pray now and ask God to help us as we look at this text and and the scriptures this morning. Father God, I, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for your word and the wonder of it and the words of life, the words of truth. I ask now as we look into your holy scriptures that we would see Christ. I ask for your gifting, your empowerment as your servant, as your child, that you would use me in spite of my humanity, in spite of my need to continually have the fallow ground of my heart broken up. And so, Father, I pray that your word would go forth and it would be a blessing to us all. And I thank you again for the precious gift that it is. So bless us now. Encourage us, build us up in our faith, and I plead before your throne of grace that if there's one here that does not know Jesus as their Savior, they would see the need to have their sin forgiven. So be with us now, and I just say thank you in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. So as we look at this text, what I want to hopefully get across is this particular thought. The believer living out the gospel will actively live a righteous life. The believer living out the gospel will actively live a righteous life. And as we look at this text here in Hosea, and and really if we look at any text throughout the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 28 should come to our mind. And I want to say I've enjoyed the survey of uh, Old Testament that Graham's been doing and trying to give us a, a quick overview of it, because there's, there's so much in the, in the Old Testament. And, uh, but Deuteronomy 28, it really is a pivotal chapter to really all of the Old Testament as we look at the history of, of uh, Israel. In the first 14 verses, they communicate God's blessing as Israel is obedient to God. And so as we look through then the rest of the Old Testament, we will see that when they're being blessed, it's because of them walking in obedience to him. And God promised that. And then verses 15 through 68, so the big chunk of that chapter, is God addressing that if you disobey me, if you are rebellious, this is the punishment that will come upon you. And so God warns them. And so even here in this text, we are seeing that. We are seeing blessing in the beginning of it for obedience to God. But then we are seeing the warning of judgment But he always calls back, come back to me, come back to me. And so as we begin, there is a picture here of submission. And we're entering into spring, and I love gardening and things like that. And and as you begin to see, of course, in western Colorado, particularly the Grand Valley, you're going to see those plumes of smoke because they're burning off all the weeds and things like that. But you begin to see those fields be worked. They're being plowed. You go to Palisade, you can see that they're out there, the trees have been trimmed, and they're beginning to work those orchards. And when you think about that, and as you look at that, I hope that will bring this message to your mind, because that is what it ought to be in the heart and the life of the believer. That it should be evidentary 
that God is working in that believer's life. It should be visible to all that there is that, that wonderful hope of life of spring and what God's doing. And so we see that here. So we begin with Ephraim was a trained calf that loved to thresh. And so the idea here is that of submission. I like to define submission this way. It is strength under control. Strength under control. So oftentimes, submission is more of thought like in an MMA or martial arts thing where you're tapping out. <laughs> it's like, whoa, whoa, I've had enough. And, and there is a point for that. But really, when you look at what submission is through the Scripture, it is strength. It is power under control. And we have no better example of that than our Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians 2 makes that abundantly clear how he submitted himself. He took on human flesh and went to even the point of submission that he died on a cross. One of the most humiliating, painful ways to die. And so submission is a wonderful thing and it ought to be in the life of the believer, in the child of God. And so we have here Ephraim was a trained calf that loved to thresh and I spared her fair neck because she was walking in submission. And Ephraim points to those northern kingdoms, as uh, Graham has shared with us in those Old Test- that Old Testament survey. And this idea of threshing represents really the blessing of God because threshing is what you do with that uh, crop that has come to fruition. And so they're threshing it out so that they can thus use that crop, the fruit of it. It has the idea here that they were trained. Ephraim was a trained calf. And they loved to thresh. And the reason for that, as we, if we look at the scriptures, Deuteronomy 25, 4 points that, you shall not muzzle an ox when it is treading out the grain. And this idea was that as they're treading that out, they're able to bend down and take a mouthful. And so that's why they love to thresh. Because they're not having to pull hard. It's still, they're using that equipment that was used for threshing. But as it's breaking up and revealing that grain, they were able to enjoy the blessing of what they were doing as they were working. And so that's the picture here. This threshing, it's, it was a good thing. It's the result of blessing, of fruit, of production. It talks about here, verse 1, it says, they were trained and they were being obedient at this point in this verse, with in this section of this verse, with what they had done walking with God. They were obeying and serving God. They were enjoying their work, their service. It was pleasant, productive, and profitable labor. And that's what it should be as we walk in obedience to God. It should be pleasant. It should be productive. It should be profitable. Isaiah uses uh, as well the idea of threshing uh, of a good thing. Isaiah 41, verse 15, it says, Behold, I make of you a threshing threshing sledge, new, sharp, and having teeth. And you shall thresh the mountains and crush them. And you shall make the hills like chaff. You shall winnow them, and the wind will carry them away. And the tempest shall scatter them. And you shall rejoice in the Lord. In the Holy One of Israel, you shall glory. And so this is a picture, again, of blessing. Micah communicates the same thing as it talks about this idea of threshing. Micah 4, verse 13. Arise and thresh, O daughter of Zion, for I will make your horn iron 
I will make your hooves bronze, and you shall beat into pieces many peoples, and shall devote their grain to the Lord, their wealth to the Lord of the whole earth. And so again, this idea of threshing here is we see that it was an idea of blessing. It was because of walking in obedience. It was productivity. It was the fruitfulness of what God was doing in their labors of walking obedience to him. But the problem often with Israel and the problem oftentimes with we as children of God, we can have a tendency as we walk through that blessing to get fat and lazy. Deuteronomy 32.15 speaks to this about the nation of Israel. It says, But Jerusalem grew fat and kicked. You grew fat, stout, and sleek. Then he forsook God and made him and scoffed at God who made him and scoffed at the rock of his salvation. Jerusalem is a name that it had the meaning that it was of uprightness. It was an honorable surname that was given to Israel, representing Israel as a nation of just and upright men. That was what this Jerusalem meant here in Deuteronomy 32.15. It was intended to remind them of their calling and involved the serious reproof to their apostasy. And so this, this term is to identify how they had once been, but you know what? You've blown it. And think back to what it was. And boy, we can see that throughout times in the Psalms as David wrote about different things, about struggling through his sin and remembering the blessing of God and then acknowledging, you know what, God, I've blown it. I've blown it. My tears have been my meat day and night. But there's always that call to come back to God, to submit to him. And so why I began with 1 Corinthians chapter 10 is Paul there is explaining that Israel's history of faithfulness and then fall into idolatry is written for us to learn from them. That we would look at Scripture and we would learn from what the people of God have and have not done. Both the positive and the negative. But what's the statement? I don't know who made it about history. What do we learn from history? We don't learn from history. But all that we would keep striving to. And as a child of God, we've got to keep looking into the Scriptures. And even as he wrote there in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11, Now these things happened to them as an example. But they were written down for our instruction. On whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore let anyone who thinks he stands take Heed lest he fall. Oh, the danger of pride and thinking we've arrived in Christ. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. And so here we see at the beginning of verse 11 in chapter 10, Ephraim was a trained calf that God had worked with them. He had trained them. They were experiencing and had experienced the blessing, the fruitfulness of service to God. And it says he had not spared the fair neck. But, but I will put Ephraim, 
to the yoke. Judah must plow and Jacob must harrow for himself. And so it's definitely referring to those northern kingdoms, but there's also the idea that even Judah, the southern kingdom, they would struggle. And so when we fail to walk in submission to our God, to our Father, there is the warning that he will bring us into subjection. And that's what we see then here with what he says he's going to do. He's going to put them to the yoke. They must plow. They must harrow for themselves. And so if we fail to walk in submission, he will bring us to subjection. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6, the writer of Hebrews says this, For the, dis, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and chastises every son whom he receives. God will do that. He is the good and loving Father, and he does discipline us. He does reprove us. He's even said in within the scriptures that they're profitable for what? For rebuke, for correction. God doesn't want to just leave us to ourselves. He wants to do what? He wants to make us into the image of his son. That's one of the uniquenesses of the Holy Spirit being the gift from the Father and the Son is that he's inside working in us with the scriptures that he inspired men to write to help us to understand them, to be like who? Like Jesus. Oh, that we'd be like Jesus. And God's not going to just let us wander and do what we want. Sometimes he's going to yank our chain. I had a buddy that used to sign all of his emails with, I'd rather leave footprints in the sand rather than butt prints. And he had two ideas with that, because I've either sat down in a mad or whiny fit, or because God had to knock me down. And we'd rather leave those footprints walking with him, but he will, he'll bring that subjection. The idea here of yoke is, and plowing harrowing, it reflects judgment, that it would be heavy, that the result would be suffering. There would be no longer being able to enjoy the fruits while they're serving. It was going to be arduous, and as Graham definitely taught through us with the the Assyrians coming in and take over, that that was what, they were going to be subject to another nation. They were going to experience punishment through other people. And there is a warning to us as God's people, God will discipline us. Oh, to walk with him. And this idea of yokedness, it's contrary to what we see in the New Testament, what Christ wants us with him. We are to be yoked with the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, as we went through Matthew 11.28 11.28 says, Come to, all, to me, all you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for what my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, Paul communicates again this idea in contrasting the yoke of slavery to the freedom we have in Christ. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Why? Because as we are yoked with Christ, he has done the work and is doing the work. We get to walk side by side with him following his lead. And oh, that we would not have to be brought into subjection because of him having to discipline us. But Hebrews 
12 that communicates that, that throughout that chapter, just that loving aspect of God disciplining and being that faithful father. And that's for a time, it's for a purpose, for us to be in right relationship with him. And in Hebrews chapter 12, he actually quotes from Proverbs 3, and he says, verse 11, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline, or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him who he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. And so God was doing that to Ephraim. He loved them, and yes, at times it seems so harsh, but it was because of their great sin. And sometimes discipline is one of the most loving things that we can do for the sake of teaching our, our young ones, and even within the body of Christ, that sin is dangerous, it is deadly. And to protect each other. But the whole purpose of this subjection then is to bring back to submission. And yes, Graham, I'm alliterating. But submission, subjection, and bring us back to submission. Graham doesn't like alliterating, so we like to pick on him about that. But it comes back to that point of wanting to bring about submission in the heart of the child of God. When we realize that we are being disciplined by the Heavenly Father and brought under His subjection, we need to repent and turn to Him in submission. And what He does call us into is walking into submission to Him, and that is through righteousness. Through righteousness. And that's what He calls them to. Verse 12, Sow for yourselves righteousness. Reap steadfast love. Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord, that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. To sow righteousness, to reap that steadfast love, to break up the fallow ground. The wording here, it actually takes me to where we studied in Matthew as well. Um, Matthew chapter 13 And I'll read several verses if you do want to turn there. But the parable of the sower. Matthew 13, verse 1, it says, That same day Jesus went out to the house and sat beside the sea, and the great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty, He who has ears, let him hear. And so then he gives an explanation of this parable later on in Matthew 13, verse 18. He says, Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet has no root in himself, 
but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately falls away. As for what is sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but cares of the world, and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what is sown on the good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in one and another sixty, and in another thirty. And so as we go back to Hosea here about that idea of sowing for yourselves righteousness, reap steadfast love, break up the fallow ground. That we need to have our hearts worked. We need to be worked and be that good and ready soil, ready to receive the word of God. And it's definitely salvific as we look at Matthew 13 and the parable of the soils and the fact that it is only that good soil that produces the fruit and exemplifies the life. But there is a challenge to us as believers from that passage that we are that good soil, that the word of God, when it comes, we are receiving it. Because sometimes we are like that path. We have issues in our life and we're like that path where not necessarily an evil, wicked thing, it's a place to get somewhere. But they're going back and forth. And thus it becomes hard. And as we go back and forth on issues and we don't leave our hearts open and receptive to the word of God, it can fall on it and not penetrate and so we need to break up the fallow ground. We, there's those ideas, the, the hardness of the heart, those, the importance of being rooted with the word of God and the depth and time, and that's the idea of that rocky soil, how it doesn't have much depth to it. There is something to be said about spending time with God. Time. And if you are not ingesting the word of God, you are not on your own putting the word of God into your heart and life and mind. You're in trouble. Because there are things in this world and pressures that will come. And it gets hard. And I like Psalms 1 tells us if we are not that tree firmly rooted, planting because we have delighted in God's word, we'll scorch. And then there's all these cares of the world and we need to remove those, those things that would choke out the word of God which those weeds resemble. That we be that good soil, that we're constantly breaking up the fallow ground. And I dare say there's areas of your heart, the ground of your heart that you have not yet let God work. Because I'm honest, the same is true with me. And if I think about just my own garden, the worst places are the corners. <laughs> and I got to let God get into the corners of my heart and deal with me and break up that fallow ground to walk in submission to him. We are to seek the Lord, he says. Seek the Lord. Seek him in his righteousness. 1 Corinthians, Paul writes here in, in chapter 3, verse 7, So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who causes the growth. It's God who does that. And the result that he may come and rain righteousness upon you, and that he'll give you that steadfast love. It's God who does the work, and thus we have to, as Hosea is telling us, we've got to seek him. We've got to seek the Lord 
And what happens when we do seek the Lord? We'll find him. If we seek him through his word and we seek after him, we will find him. And as we see here, sow for yourselves righteousness. Reap steadfast love. Break up your fallow ground. For it is time to seek the Lord that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. And as we're heading in, as we're in Romans, uh, this again jumps out from just where we've been already. Romans chapter 1. Particularly verse 16 and 17, it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as is written, the righteous shall live by faith. We are to do what Hosea is suggesting, that we would pursue the righteousness of God. And looking at this agricultural language here in Hosea, the parable of the sower, it's identifiable when you can see a farm being worked. And again, as I brought that up, and I want to encourage you, even this spring, as you go around, you see that, I hope you'll be mindful of this text. God, break up the ground of my heart. Help me to sow in view of righteousness. Because it's so evident when you see a field being worked. For a while, we, I was youth pastor at a church up in Lazier, and Delta County used to, at that point, man, they used to have tons of onion fields. And man, you could always tell when they were being worked, and then in the fall, boy, you could always smell the onions when they were being harvested. And there were times we were even tempted when they'd fall off the truck to stop and, hey, there's an onion on the side of the road, let's stop, pick that up, free onion. But you knew it. The smell was in the air. And uh, one kiddo that was in that church, his, his dad was a farmer, and he just, he said, I love the smell of fresh till dirt. It should be evidentiary in our lives. And again, here in Romans, that's what he says in verse 8 of chapter 1. It says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. It was evident. It was being talked about they could see there was something different with these people. Question is, is that that way with us? On the contrary, it's so obvious when people fall and fail. It's so obvious. And I want to encourage us as God's people and as the people of Calvary Bible Church, let us, as God's people as members of Calvary Bible Church, strive for victory in living an evidentiary life in submission to our Heavenly Father as we walk with and follow our Savior, Jesus Christ, being filled by the Holy Spirit. And yet, when we ourselves or one of our brothers or sisters falls in sin and subsequently the subjection of God's discipline comes upon them, let us rally to one another and encourage each other to sow righteousness, to reap steadfast love, and to seek the Lord, and to allow him to come and rain righteousness upon us. Oh, that as we as God's people would do that with each other, as brothers and sisters. And so I do want to point towards the end of this message, being a rally cry. We're going to stumble. And oh, that we would have people that as our knees are bloody and scraped up, they're helping us back up to say, let's keep going, the finish line's that way. Let's walk together for Jesus. 
let's break up this heart. Let's sow in view of righteousness. Let's walk in submission to our great God. Let's submit ourselves to his holy and inerrant word. Let it transform us. And let's help each other walk to Jesus. And then let's rally around if someone has the opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with someone. To be able to rally to that and say, let's pray for them. Let's pray that it will fall on good soil. That it will take root and bear fruit. Oh, that we would rally together and walk in submission to him. We are to be believers living out the gospel who are actively living a righteous life. Child of God, my brothers and sisters, if you love Jesus and you know him, let's live the life. Let's let it be evident between each, before ourselves but also as we go out of these doors, that they would see Jesus. They would see fruit being born in our life. And I want to close with reading one of my favorite quotes from A.W. Tozer. It's out of his book, Paths of Power. And he surmises everything I just said far more eloquently than I am. So this is from A.W. Tozer, Paths of Power. The fallow field is smug. Contented, protected from the shock of the plow and the agitation of the harrow. Such a field as it lies year after year becomes a familiar landmark to the crow and the blue jay. Had it intelligence, it might take a lot of satisfaction in its reputation, its stability. Nature adopted it. It can be counted on to remain always the same while the fields around it change from brown to green and back to brown again. Safe and undisturbed, it sprawls lazily in the sunshine, the picture of sleepy contentment. But it is paying a terrible price for its tranquility. Never does it see the miracle of growth. Never does it feel the motion of the mounting life, nor see the wonders of bursting seed, nor the beauty of ripening grain. Fruit it can never know because it is afraid of the plow and the harrow. In direct opposite to this, the cultivated field has yielded itself to the adventure of living. The protecting fence has opened to admit the plow, and the plow has come as plows always come. Practical, cruel, businesslike, and in a hurry. Peace has been shattered by the shouting farmer and the rattle of machinery. Field has felt the travail of change. It has been bruised and broken, but its rewards come hard upon its labors. The seed shoots up into the daylight, its miracle of life, curious, exploring the new world above it. All over the field, the hand of God is at work in the age old and ever renewed service of creation. New things born to grow, mature, and consummate the grand prophecy latent in the seed when it entered the ground. Nature's wonders follow the plow. I would ask you, break up the foul ground of your heart. So in view of righteousness, seek that steadfast love which comes from God. Be willing to thresh and work and enjoy the blessings of serving him. But be careful. Take heed. 
Don't be that man that thinks he stands lest you fall. Don't grow fat and lazy in our service, but let us be diligent in our service, faithful, always following Christ. And so as we break up that foul ground of our heart and we sow in view of righteousness, what? That he would come rain righteousness upon us. That we would be known as a righteous people. Not self-righteous, righteous in who? In Christ and the good work that he's done. And thankfully, God, our Heavenly Father, he is what? The author and finisher of our faith. Let's enjoy living out our stories together as God writes them and encourage others to join and help each other walk. Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you again for the truth of it. Father, I ask that you do a work in all of us that claim Christ. We would desire to walk in submission to our Savior. That we would be yielded to the Holy Spirit, allowing him to bear his fruit in our life. That we would take the word of God into our life and it would bear that fruit. And whether we would be people as the parable says, it would be hundredfold, sixtyfold, or thirtyfold. Whatever you have allotted for us, we would be faithful stewards of it and bear that fruit. Help us encourage each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. And then, Father, I plead before your throne of grace, if there's anyone here that has not trusted in Jesus as their Savior, that today would be the day of salvation. They would be honest that they have allowed the cares of this world to choke out the word. Or that the struggles and the hardships has not allowed it to bear fruit. Or that they have the hard heart and they're allowing Satan to snatch it away. I ask today, Spirit, that you would convict them and that they would see my heart is not Jesus's. My heart needs to be broken and I need to accept what Jesus has done and who he is as the Savior having died on the cross for my sins. I ask that you do that work in them. And Father, I just ask that you would rain down righteousness upon us as we follow our wonderful, mighty Savior who is tender of heart. And his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And it's in Jesus' precious name I pray these things. Amen.